Hi everyone, so welcome back to our JMU and Disability Podcast. Uh, today we are going to finish up our mini-series on analyzing different aspects of disability with the big question, has the ADA or Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act really improved lives? So to start us off, I do have a personal experience I would like to discuss. So the story is in regard to my brother, um, who's 26, who was diagnosed with Crohn's disease um, about 11 years ago. He was toward the end of his middle school experience, um, and suddenly he felt pain he had never experienced before, um, and it was sort of the beginning of a, you know, quote-unquote love affair with gastroenterologists and hospitals. A month later, he was diagnosed. Um, It was the heat of the summer, and I can't imagine how scared he was to transition to high school, especially with a new diagnosis. Um, In his case, having a 504 plan um, as a result of, you know, the 504, Section 504, um, it really did help him a lot throughout high school, um, you know, but I do believe there was such a lack of mental health resources for him. Um, that he did actually end up leaving um, and receiving his GED later on. Um, I would say having his 504 plan, um, you know, definitely helped him get extended time on tests and assignments, um, as far as I remember, um, and as well as being able to take frequent breaks throughout the day. Um, I think that was the biggest thing, but... um, you know, not many teachers understood his illness, uh, you know, let alone his peers. Um, so there was certainly um, a lot of stigma in the mix as well. Um, you know, and I would say that's that's part of the reason why he um, ended up getting his GED. I, I think the stigma um, at such a young age was a lot for him. Um, but my, my big question for you, Emma, is if you know anyone who has had an experience quite like his, um, either in high school or college, um, and how they handled it. Maddie, thank you so much for sharing about your, you and your brother's experience. I'm so sorry to hear about his diagnosis and how some people treated him throughout high school. That's... It's so always so upsetting to hear stories like that, um, but I'm sure your brother was very strong throughout it all. Um, although it's not the same story, I did have a similar experience myself in high school. I actually have several learning disabilities, which qualifies me for 504 and ADA, and of course accommodations in school like separate testing and extra time. Um, Unfortunately, these weren't always taken seriously by my teachers or my classmates. Teachers were very understanding, I would say, but like in the way where they had to follow the school rules, um, and it was like kind of going through the motions for them. However, going through the motions doesn't mean you go through them correctly. Um, I remember frequently being forgotten about and having to like track down teachers just to get my accommodations. I remember being so stressed because like I wouldn't be able to take the test or I'd get to the testing center and it wouldn't be there, and then they couldn't find my my teacher and be this whole big mess Um, but I think the biggest problem in high school came from the stigmas that were being perpetuated by other students Um, I was actually frequently accused of being of faking my disabilities and saying like I didn't need the accommodations that I was being given and how it was unfair to them and often students would say well I should get them too like I have a hard time taking tests like I don't like taking tests like I run out of time and I'm like okay you didn't study like you didn't (laughs) you had enough time Um, 
but yeah so that was always difficult like a lot of confrontations with that I remember a specific circumstance where I got accused in front of my entire class of cheating. Um, I actually I got like one of the higher grades in like a forensics class, and I remember it was like a friend, and they're like, "Well, Emma, we know you cheat." So, and I was like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "Whenever you leave the room, like that's where you go, like you're cheating." And I'm like, "No, I go to a testing center." Obviously, a lot of that came from just students not understanding, and I think that is a big problem like it just wasn't something that was talked about um and especially not in a positive way during high school about having accommodations or having a disability it was definitely very hush hush um you would only really know another student if they talked about it or if you'd see them in the testing center and it was kind of kind of nice like a little unspoken bond between the testing center kids um but in college things have actually been much different and i must say the office of disability services at jmu has been such a strong advocate for my rights um, with the ada and has been there for me whenever i needed support um i haven't had much trouble from other students in college just because there's no way of them knowing what's going on just because you know you're in a lecture hall of 300 people and i just don't show up to the lecture hall i show up to the office of disability services to take my exam so no one really knows that you're different. Um, but there actually was one circumstance where I definitely was made out to be different by a professor. Fortunately, it's only been one situation in college. Um, but I remember it was just this whole mess with them not complying with the ADA and saying, oh, like, oh, in my class, you don't need you don't need your accommodations based off of how I have things set up. And I remember it was like, if you need extra time, like the rest of the class will turn in their quizzes and you'll keep working. And then I remember taking the quiz, and he just went, okay, time is up for all students to come return your papers. And then he was like, the only students who should still have their quiz are students registered with the Office of Disability Services. Like, they have more time. Everyone else, sit quietly. And I remember I was just getting all of these, like, what's wrong with you stares from my classmates. And I, like, could not take the exam. It was already very difficult because I wasn't put in a separate space like I was supposed to be. Um... And just having, you know, it definitely wasn't quiet, like, with everyone getting up and moving and not respecting what was going on and, and just staring you down and, like, why, are you, why do you still have your paper? Um, so that was, that was unfortunate, but um, it, was, it was okay because I had the Office of Disability Services there, and we were luckily, like, I, we went, we talked, and we figured it out. They realized that what was going on was definitely unethical um, and um, kind of refusing with the ADA, but it was okay. We resolved the issue, um, but that that's really my only, I would say, college experience, like, in the classroom that didn't, that negatively affected my life, but of course, then the ADA was there to step in and make it more positive. I think I definitely, I love going to school and I love taking classes, but I think if it wasn't for the ADA or 504, my experience would have been a lot different and a lot worse. I would, uh, I honestly, I take my bad experiences and I say, I'm looking back and especially after taking this class, I'm like, I'm lucky to have had the experience I did and for it to be as good as it was. So I just feel fortunate at this point. So thank you so much for sharing that, Emma. Um, I do want to mention another woman. Um, her name's Stephanie Woodward, um, and she writes about how the ADA is not enough to assist those who may experience a disability. Um, you know, she, she writes a blog post, so it's very much, you know, 
a primary source in the sense that she um, does have a disability. She discusses how she is a wheelchair user uh, and a disability rights attorney. Um, so she has a lot of experience with the American with Disabilities Act. Um, and so she explains that while there's so many good parts of the ADA, it also doesn't cover services um, and support in someone's own home, punitive damages, uh, or enforcement. Um, which I, you know, think it's interesting that this is not often discussed, you know, typically in terms of education and learning, um, you know, we are usually focusing on the more positive, um, points of the ADA. Um, but what was the largest piece that stuck out to you after going through those three sections? Um, you know, their home, the punitive damages or enforcement, Emma? I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me, like now that I, now that we're talking about this, um, I'm remembering it. It's definitely how they said I shouldn't feel fortunate for anything, um, and it's ironic because I just said I feel fortunate. Um, but now that I think about it, I shouldn't feel fortunate to only have a few bad experiences in lieu of having a really bad one overall. Um, I'm glad Stephanie said that. I think it's something I also often forget that shouldn't be complacent in banks for something that isn't even what everyone else has. I think just the biggest of like these three sections that stood out to me was the punitive damages. This is something that I, I didn't even know about because you know like a lot of I see like a lot of people say things like oh like they're gonna get sued for like the ADA or something like that's not good like and it kind of makes it seem like oh they're gonna come they want to come and get your money but like now like after reading this I didn't even realize that you can't even get money it's just to hey you have to stop discriminating against me and then they're like, okay, you have to stop discriminating against them. But there's no punitive damages, which there definitely should be. I, yeah, that, that really stuck out to me. So I definitely agree. I think one of the most ridiculous parts, actually, um, that I noticed is how the ADA doesn't require a sum of money um, from companies when they break the law, or in this case, discriminate discriminate against someone with a disability, uh, which as an employer is absolutely against the law. Um, so Woodward describes it as more of a temporary fix. Um, you know, she gives the example of it's, it's like a slap on the wrist that says, Hey, don't do that again. Okay. Um, and then as long as the person agrees verbally that, you know, they won't do the thing or discriminate again, um, they don't actually get in trouble. And the person who is discriminated against, um, you know, has to live in fear that a stigmatizing situation will happen again, um, you know, either in that employer setting or elsewhere. Um, and so did anything else surprise you about her post? I think the, the other part that surprised me, I don't even know if it surprised me because it's like, you know, like, I know these things are happening and people with disabilities are being discriminated against, I think was just, it's kind of like, it was the part where it was saying, like, that although there were so many legitimate claims for the ADA being filed, judges are just dismissing them because there's either just so many or they don't understand um, the ADA or they don't understand, um, or they discriminate against people with disabilities. And I think that's so upsetting because it's like, you're a judge, like, you're a lawyer, you went to law school, you should understand the ADA. Like, when you think of, like, maybe you don't know, like, a really, really specific court case, which, uh, which like, this, like, new filing is brought up against, like, an establishing president. Like, you don't know some random case from, like, the 70s. Like, and that's what you're, you're dismissing this case because you're not familiar with it. 
but this is the ADA. This is affecting so many Americans, and I, that was, it was, it was, it was not surprising, but it was, like, so upsetting that I was just, like, this is really the reason, like, that, like, you don't understand the ADA. That's why we're throwing out these cases. So I definitely noticed that as well, and you bring up some great valid points. Um, but another post I, you know, did want to discuss was written by Barry Fagan, um, and he's more of a secondary secondary source here, um, but he has a quite quite a bit to discuss about the flaws of the ADA, um, and so I, I think one of his larger points is that, um, you know, in terms of while it is a policy that does help many people, um, Fagan describes how many aspects of it are vague in terms of explaining what the quote-unquote reasonable accommodation means. So there's no precise definition of what the term means in the ADA, um, which, you know, I'm sure policymakers did that on purpose to leave room for interpretation um, and not making you know, the law too specific, but, you know, what, what do you think about that, Emma? What are your, what are your thoughts there? So I must say, uh, I definitely agreed with what he was saying at the beginning of, you might think I'm a jerk. I kind of still do at the end, um, just because I saw some of the cases he brought up and some of them I was like, yes, okay, that, that does seem like a lot, um, like the fast food condom encounter was half an inch too high. Then again, I don't know what that experience, ha- what that did to someone with a disability, but like failing to provide a sign language interpreter to a patient, um, your doctor, um, like that, I don't really think that is something that's unreasonable. So maybe this is just making his argument a little bit weaker to me. But although I don't agree with all of his points, I do see what he's saying about it's a little too broad. I do think it should be refined a little bit. I don't have an answer as to how it should be refined, but I think that just, I, I, I think it was left broad because you don't want to have anyone left out. Like there's a lot of different disabilities out there, but I think it does also lend itself to abusing it and maybe making people a little more worried about serving people with disabilities or hiring them. So I do think it, it does need to be reviewed because there's no precise definition. Um, but I, I don't think I don't think that it's doing maybe what the author is say it say it's doing. I think there's two sides to this argument. I think some people say it needs to be so broad so we don't leave anyone out. And I don't think that's like what he's arguing as like we all have to be doing good and doing bad. We it's about equality at the end of the day. And that's one of the things that our country is founded on or something that we now want to pride ourselves on. So I think it's about equality. It's not about being good or bad. And I think that part of that is making sure that no one who is experiencing a disability is being left out of something like the ADA. But I also think, you know, it does, it does need to be more clearly defined, just like legally, so it cannot be abused. So I definitely thought that as well. Um, you know, I also know that my brother has struggled with being able to find and keep jobs um, because even though employers can't technically hire or fire someone based on their disability, um, you know, I, I do think a lot of employers will find a loophole around it um, somehow and won't actually be punished for it. Um, you know, why exactly? I, you know, they, personal reasons, um, but I do believe that in many ways the ADA is beneficial, but I also don't personally experience a disability, so it's not necessarily my opinion that matters. Um, and in terms of labeling and stigma, 
you know, I believe that the ADA and Section 504 have certainly alleviated some stigma in the sense that all types of people have the same equal opportunities to learn or work. But on the other hand, these policies alone do not erase the systemic stigma that people with disabilities may experience. Um, you know, they're policies. They're, they're a new beginning. So I believe that the only way for, you know, the U.S. to truly step forward and give the disabled population the equitable resources they deserve um, is to educate the general public about what disability um, is, what stigma is in the first place. Um, you know, it, what it really boils down to is, you know, people are afraid of what is different. Um, you know, not the norm or what they don't understand. Now, is that human nature or is it conditioning? Um, honestly, I'm not necessarily sure, um, you know, but, but that's just some, some food for thought there. Um, do you have any closing thoughts on that? Yeah, just Maddie, what you said, you, you always find the best way to say things. I agree. I think we have a lot to do about alleviating stigma. And I, I really love that you brought up what your brother has experienced as someone with a disability. Like, people find loopholes. And just because the, like, it's almost references back to the article, like, people are less likely to hire people with disabilities because, you know, they're going to find a loophole because they're scared of the ADA. And I think that's terrible. And I think that you're right. It's systematic. We have to have a lot of changes. And it goes beyond the ADA. I mean, the ADA at the end of the day is just a law, and it didn't make people think this way. It was stigma and other factors surrounding it that had people abuse it. And I think, you know, there has to be a systematic change around how we view people with disabilities and how we treat them to actually make, to make the ADA better. I mean, if we had that systematic change, maybe the ADA wouldn't need to be changed. I think it's a lot, a lot of a larger issue than just the ADA is bad. So thank you everyone for tuning in to the very end of our mini series. Um, you know, we'll, we'll catch you next time.